Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, November 16th, 2012. This week, episode 264 comes to you from Studio D in Central City. Our new sound system's coming along well here. My name is Radio Joe Hughes and joining us from the old Studio C will be the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey Joe, how are you? Great. Hey Joe. Beautiful day on the mountain here, Cliff. Of course, at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V. Val Bender. Hi, everyone. And joining us from Carnegie, PA, later in the show will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Today's segments include an interview with Dr. Hackenin, I get it right there, Bert. Uh, Dr. Bert Hackenin, and uh, we've also got Stephanie Publicker, both from uh, the National Institutes of Health, with uh, an interesting show, I think, on some of great resources available for folks out there. I was just looking at, there's so many of them, I haven't gotten through them all yet, but I just looked at another one, Indoor Air Quality. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll also have our IAQ Radio trivia question. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, Hurricane Sandy and some resources for that as well, or Superstorm Sandy, whichever you prefer. And, uh, of course, we'll also do our halftime and our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X dot com and C-M-M-Online dot com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, to listen to the show live, just go to iaqradio.com, hit the Go To Show button, and then join either using the TalkShoe client or you can join without that. You don't even have to download anything. You can also stream past shows directly from our website homepage or download the show by going to iaqradio.com and, of course, that Go To Show link. Right-click on the download button and save it to your favorite MP3 player. Don't forget, we have ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC renewal credits available. Just email me at joe.hughes at com, and I'll get you out of quiz. Last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Andy Krozowski, Concast Metal Products, Mars PA, 
for identifying Equity Rule 48 as the 1842 rule in which the U.S. Supreme Court officially recognized representative lawsuits where the parties were too numerous to be conveniently brought before the court but refused to bind absent parties to any resulting judgments. That's the predecessor of class action lawsuits. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, November 16, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at their website, www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. Name our nation's oldest federal cultural institution. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guests are Dr. Hackenin. Bert Hackenin is a acting head of the Office of Clinical Toxicology and the senior toxicologist at the and toxicology and environmental health science advisor in the Division of Specialized Information Services, National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health. He provides leadership on the development of new resources in toxicology, exposure science, and risk assessment, and enhancements to existing. National Library of Medicine resources in these fields. He's got a long history of work in toxicology as well. And we're looking forward to talking to him about some of those issues. But we, what caught our attention was this National Library of Medicine resource we want to get out to our listeners. And he also told us that we should have along one of his associates here. And I might, there we go. Stephanie Publicker has an associate degree in nursing and a BA in Italian and master's in library sciences. Since receiving her uh, MLS from the University of Pittsburgh in 1991, she has been involved in end-user training, getting her start when users were thrilled to have a 2400-baud modem. She began her federal career in 1994 at the National Institutes of Health Library. She worked at the Biotechnology Library of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. She currently works in the National Library of Medicine's Specialized Information Services Division, where she's involved in end-user training, database development, and web content management. We look forward to having both on with a great interview. Let's get some music, Val. See if we got Doctor Hackenden on the line. Greetings, greetings. Thank you. And that, that was an interesting choice of music there. The uh, kind of a we we tried to suggest something with a library that theme to it. <laughs> it has the library theme. We've got another one for later too with the Hurricane Sandy theme. But uh, let's see if we got Stephanie on the line too. Yes, I'm here too. Welcome. Yeah, Thanks for joining. It's us. great. It's great to be part of your show number two sixty four, if I'm counting correctly, and I. Stephanie and I would try our best not to talk over each other, but you're talking to me in Washington, D.C., and Stephanie up in, up in the state of Maine. So okay. we're, we'll do our best not to talk over each other. Well, you know, that's curious. I'm curious. How do you work together? Maybe we could start with, um, with, with Dr. Hackenden. I mean, are you in the same group there? It sounds like it. And then you kind of coordinate with each other on these uh, resources, I guess. Yeah, we're both in the uh, it's, it's rather newly created Office of Clinical Toxicology within our Specialized Information Service Division within National Library of Medicine, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. And we, we work together, and especially like efforts like, like today, it's, uh, I think it's useful perhaps for your listeners and for yourselves to get you know, both of our perspectives on something for some of your questions. I think it is, and and Stephanie, how long have you been with this particular part of the National Institutes of Health now? I have worked there since uh, September 10th, 2001, and I 
now live up in Maine, but I work from home and I telecommute 100% of the time. But I spend a lot of time on the phone, and since most of my job is creating web materials, it really doesn't matter where I work. I see. So I'm involved. I often email uh, Dr. Hackinen or talk with him on the phone to coordinate whatever projects we're working on. So th- we also go around when we're not preparing materials, we exhibit at uh, conferences, and people would come over to our booth to talk about the materials that we have, and we can do on-the-spot training for them and using our materials. In fact, I saw you at, or I saw Dr. Hackinen, I don't remember if both of you were there or not, at the um, AIHA conference in Indianapolis. Correct, yes, that's right. Okay, and that was uh, that was great to meet you in person and get a chance to talk a little bit more about this. Well, let's. How long have you had this particular, you know, the National Library with the toxicology stuff? It sounds like that's a little newer than maybe some of the others. Well, Stephanie, you want to try uh, try the history of uh, the Greco back? Okay, um, the toxicology uh, goes back to the late sixties. And when it began, um, some of it started after uh, Rachel Carson had done her book, and there was an increasing concern about the information on toxicology. And then there was a presidential report about how uh, toxicology information is uh, produced, and our original formation came out of that. So we did that, just toxicology, for about 10 years, and then in the 1970s we began to include environmental health information. And this was before the rise of the Internet, and the information was available in a paper copy, and also librarians at the time, or special, specially trained searchers, could go into the databases that were housed at the National Library of Medicine and do searches on the information. And uh, it would get a printout a day or two later by mail with the information. And then in the 1990s, the uh, Internet became available and the material started to change and we were able to take all of the materials and make them uh, online and developed a really big uh, web presence, mostly in about 2000, and uh, been working hard to expand the materials uh, ever since to increase the different kinds from information for professionals to information for consumers. And uh, back in the 1990, up till about 1996, when somebody would do a search, they had to pay for the materials. But uh, Congress decided uh, that because this information was usually produced from money that came from the, the public, the information from the National Library of Medicine became uh, freely available. And so now people can access these databases and all of our resources for free. What What are the most recent additions? It seems like it's you know it's the National Library of Medicine's got a bunch of different resources and and a lot were having to do with toxicology and, and medical issues. But it, there's a lot more to it than that now. What are kind of the most recent additions that you've put onto the site so that people have access to them? Well, I guess I, I'll start. I mean, one for researchers and others, one the most recent database we added was called the Comparative Toxicogenomics Database that we added from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of NIH, and that is a database that links chemicals to effects on genes and proteins, and then ultimately also links the chemicals to diseases. It's a curated database that is... Uh, of interest to folks trying to identify the mechanisms or pathways to toxicity for various chemicals. 
So that's a technical database, but I think Stephanie can highlight some recent in what we call environmental health links pages that she's developed. Yeah, I we, think those are the ones that a lot of our listeners would be interested in. Yeah. So you call right. them kind of the environmental um, health. Because okay. some of our materials uh, may be very, they're, they're extracts from journals or from uh, textbooks. We wanted to expand the information that we provide to people, and we developed something which we call the Enviral Health Link for special topic pages. So, for example, we have one on indoor air, and what we do is look at uh, government websites and reputable uh organization websites, not-for-profit not websites. We have certain selection criteria on how we choose these things. And we look at them for things such as maybe there's a glossary uh, or maybe there's a list of other publications or there's a list of the current research going on in an area. And in indoor air, we look for special things, specific environments, there's a section on biological pollutants or carbon monoxide or building air quality guides for large buildings. So we'll take stuff from the EPA or the National Academies of Science or the CDC or uh, the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences and or the Computer Product uh, Safety Commission. So we go out and find other things that supplement what we don't have. And we also will find... Excuse me? Nope. You broke up there for a okay. second. Go ahead. Okay. We also will link to uh, if there are uh, good organizations that specialize in this, and this can vary, we'll link to that organization. And in addition... What we do is we create uh, formulated searches of, of the databases that exist on the National Library of Medicine. So somebody can go in and say, oh, I would like to find out what is available in our database of journals about the medical literature, what do they have on indoor air pollution. And so instead of having to create that search themselves, we've already created that search for them. And we will have searches of the medical database. We have a database of journal literature in toxicology. We have a database on hazardous substances. Uh, so that, in, for indoor air quality, it has a search of radon and carbon monoxide. And we also have a, uh, another resource called Toxtown, which is for consumers. And we have a search um, in Toxtown about those topics. And we'll also have a search done in the book catalog, so somebody could go in and find all of the books related to this particular topic. And we try to go the gamut of resources for... The, the professional to the consumer, and uh, so that gives us a, quite a, a, an area of retrieval, and we also have a section on resources that are in Spanish. I see that. We have one. Excuse me? I just I see that. I'm, I'm on here right now. I'm looking at it, and, and we've got the link up on, our, on the uh, chat, and we'll put it up on our website under resources. It seems like it all kind of falls under this www.nim, so that's National Institute of Medicine, .nih, National Institutes of Health, .gov, and then there's a forward slash and you get into a more specific area. Like like the one I'm looking at right now is the Enviro forward slash indoor air pollution. And and it goes through all the things like you were saying. I also noticed you got... um, a link to Lawrence Berkeley Labs, all their stuff in here. It's a real nice kind of one-stop shop for a lot of these different uh, materials. The only correction I would make to the URL, I think I heard you say, it's HTTP, HTTP, front slash, front slash, with no no www, but then sis.nlm.nih.gov. Ah, yeah, yeah, National Library of Medicine, okay. 
So I heard you say NIM, not NLM, but just for the for listeners' sake. That's I appreciate what the, that. There's a little glare on my screen there, but actually Val has it up right now. And we'll put this all on our website, but there's a, a lot of really good stuff. And I noticed at the bottom it said that one appeared to have first started in 2006, and it's been um, revised here fairly regularly, I guess. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, we... Um one, we check the these websites weekly to make sure there are no broken links because that's one of the notorious problems with managing online information. And so we check for the that broken link issue, but then every three or four months we go through and look for new resources or also make sure that even though a link's not broken, the whatever the resources isn't going someplace else. So we do really keep up with these and try to make them as current as possible. And we realize that um, there's a lot of information out there and uh, on the web, and much of it is not very good. So that's why we have selection criteria uh, how we choose these things, what we look for, to make sure we're not taking someone to a website where they're going to be bombarded by advertisements. And to make sure that where we're taking them to is also current, that somebody's watching out for it and maintaining it. Absolutely. It's, it's a really nice really nice uh, resource for people. Cliff, I, I wanted to make sure if you had any follow-up, you got a chance to jump in here. No, no, I, I think I was just trying to, I think Joe and I understand that there are six major categories of information available, and, and we wondered if you would be kind enough to tell the listeners uh, what the six major categories of information are and what the reasoning is behind dividing the information up into those categories. Uh, do you mean within our division itself? I believe it's, yeah, the, yeah. the, um, the first link there, the first part of things, the National Library of Medicine, NIH.gov. Okay, yeah, because if folks go, folks go into our website, which is, uh, again, it's http front slash front slash sis.nlm.nih.gov, that gets you to our division that Stephanie and I are in. That's, that's the Specialized Information Services Division, otherwise known as SIS. And we, as our name implies, we are we deal with specialized information uh, for you know, for the National Library of Medicine, and it does include, as Stephanie has mentioned already, toxicology, environmental health. We also have resources on chemistry, and we include resources also for HIV, AIDS and then specialized topics, minority, and other special populations health uh, content. And then the number six one is a rather recent, uh, rather recent being five or so years ago when this started, we have a focus on disaster information management as well. So we have a disaster information management research center, which, uh, which contains a lot of very, very useful content relative to disasters and if, if an earthquake occurs or something that that uh, we feel needs up, updating on the web or new content on our website. We will have group folks working over the weekend to have content up over, you know, within two or three days of a major uh, major disaster. So uh, it's that's a, that's the most the disaster information is the most recent uh, part of our our effort in our division. So you've kind of taken information from a bunch of different resources and put it all in one easy-to-find place for the disaster restoration. Right, and, and, and you, can, you can argue that some of these topics don't necessarily align perfectly with each other in terms of what they are, but the, the being who, what we do in our division, we, you know, we, we're the keepers uh, in the, of this type of information within National Library of Medicine as, as a, you know, a, a rather large number of various types of resources that we that we develop and maintain. Okay. 
Okay, and Cliff, did you have another one you wanted to add? No, no, I'm good. Thanks. All right, because that, that area for the disaster restoration or for um, disasters, I mean, it's, a, it's a great resource. You've got a lot of different information on that. I'm getting calls a lot now, and I don't know. Do you get calls into the office or emails into the office from people who are looking for information? And if, if so, do, they, do you kind of help steer them in the direction of what they're looking for? We don't get um, many phone calls directly to our office uh, because we're you know, we're a web entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to what we will do is like we have Twitter feeds where we announce that oh we've got this uh, this resource that's available. And we have list news listservs so people will know what's there and get that information out. If someone, we have several standalone um, resources for handling chemicals uh, during an emergency, and people can download those. If somebody had a problem with using that, there is certainly someone uh, on a phone somewhere who could help them with doing that, but we don't usually get a lot of phone calls directly to us, and if we were to get them, uh, we try to, you know, direct them to the appropriate people on where they should go. And so, what? you know, you get to this main area here with the six different divisions, and, you know, people... Uh, there's just so much there. It seems like you know you kind of get lost, Stephanie. Maybe you have some tips for people as they go in. Um, well, I think as your group, we um, yes, I understand. I'm going to say yes. You're right. It is hard when somebody faces a website to know where do I go. Uh, but if they're looking for uh, information about air quality or information about chemicals that might be in the air, they probably would want to go to the one that says environmental health and toxicology, and when they go there, they're taken to a different page that's just about environmental health and toxicology. Uh, That's this one, our, our sole focus on in this next page that they get to. And then when they see that page on the left-hand side of the screen, we've divided it up. Uh, One part, it says, find information about, and then a little menu pops up for them and says, you know, looking for chemicals and drugs, looking for poisoning, looking for risk assessment, looking for environmental health, and then it will take them to a guide to those resources that would be most appropriate for them. And then we also have, and I, I believe uh, it was included in the links that uh, Dr. Hakkinen sent you, and then we also have guides divided by the, who the person is. Are they coming from the public? Are they, coming from, uh, are they researchers or scientists? Are they health professionals? Are they students or educators? Because we do have a lot of educational material for K through 12. And then we have... Uh, a guide for emergency responders. So we have set it up so there is something that will kind of hold your hand walking through and where they can find the information. I've got Val doing that now. Yeah, I've got Val doing that now. We kind of walked through. We got to Talkstown now, but I guess Talkstown is more for the um, consumer. Well, you know, it's kind of, it's funny with Talkstown is Talkstown started out for um, high school students, but we discovered that consumers really like it because they can feel a bit overwhelmed by the whole idea of toxicology, environmental health. So with that interface that had the pictures that made it a little more approachable for them. So that's used by uh, both high school students and for consumers. I've gone and I've worked with um, like community uh, organizations that are involved in environmental health and, you know, help them use uh, Talkstown in order to find that information. 
are there also if I'm I've been through so many things on these sites. Are there also some some training? I think that was in the disaster restoration section. I found a really nice training program for people who were going to uh, a flood in particular because of what just happened up in New York. And there was a really nice program in there on how to train your employees about the safety hazards of going into a flood relief. Uh, are there a lot of those in different sections? I know I found that one. Right. When, um, when we create those special topic pages, like you talked about the one on disaster recovery or the one on indoor air, if there are training programs like that or guides that someone could use, I remember um, we did some after Hurricane Katrina that led to guides on mold remediation. So we will have those there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was one I found. I'm going to have to find it again and, and put it up. I and it's all public domain stuff, right? Anybody can use it. Exactly, can, yeah. exactly. You got it. That's what we want. Yeah, the one you may be thinking about is the one I included in the, as one of the final links there. That's from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, NIEHS, that, that we linked to also. That's their comprehensive page on worker, worker education training. Great stuff. Yeah. You know, it's that the government, the federal government, has so many different agencies producing so much material that... It's hard to find it all, and so we really feel compelled to get it all in one place so people can say, wow, I didn't know that was there. This is really terrific. It's a great resource. Let me let me do this. We've got to stop and thank our, our sponsors at halftime, we call this. When we'll come back for the second half, I'd like to go into a little about uh, Superstorm Hurricane Sandy w- with Dr. Hackenden and, and talk a little bit about some of the issues that are coming up out there, or up there, I guess, from here anyway. I'm in the Pennsylvania area. They're a little further northeast. And uh, I guess in uh, Maine, you pretty much escaped without too much damage up there, Stephanie? Uh, we were without power for about 24 hours. Um, but I, no, we didn't have, and I live in the middle of a, a very wooded area, and I didn't lose any trees. Good, good for So you. some people did, uh, closer to the ocean, but we just lost power. All right, well, this, we'll be right back with, uh, with our guests after we take a little break. Dr. Hackenden and Stephanie Publicker from the National Institutes of Health and, and the National Library there. Great stuff. We'll be right back. Hang in there for about 60 seconds. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at 
Queen, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with a couple of folks from the National Institutes of Health here, the National Library of uh, Medicine. What's the matter, Val? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Val's got a, got a clip here. I'm sorry. She's pointing, and I couldn't figure out exactly what it meant. Uh, Dr. Bert Hackinen, Hackinen and uh, Stephanie Publicker have joined us, one uh, one from Maine. And, and Dr. Hackinen, where are you? I'm not even sure where you're calling in from. I'm calling from uh, downtown Washington, D.C. Oh, you're, you're in the in the downtown area then. Is, and the National Library of Medicine, I assume, is in downtown D.C. I've got to go. i got to go. Uh, actually, actually, I'm at another federal agency at the moment after a meeting, but we're located up, our, our headquarters is up in Bethesda, Maryland. Oh, Bethesda. Better yet, that's closer to me. All right. Well, we, you know, we talked a little bit uh, prior to the show about the fact that, you know, you've got a long background, at least emailed back and forth about your background in emergency response and toxicology. And I had a couple questions for you with respect to Hurricane Sandy. Um, first of all, oh, oh, Val keeps telling me I got to do the music. I'll give you one. There we go. The air was warm, but now they're talking Frankenstorm. We'll get a foot of rain from this hurricane. They say there might be snow. What the f- It's October. Oh, Sandy. I'm scared and you might be the worst storm that I've ever seen. Oh, Sandy. All right. Now we got our music in. Val, you feel better? <laughs> All right. Listen, I, I've, I've got a question. You, you were part of development of a, a system called WISER, W-I-S-E-R. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and if it was used during this most recent disaster up in the uh, Northeast? Yeah, we, we don't have actual numbers for that because we don't track that, that type of usage within you know, state per state, so we don't know exactly how much it was used, say, in, in, in uh, New Jersey or New York uh, area. But it's used uh, by, it's, it's about eight years old now in terms of development when it's first released, and it's available, it's, it's, its official name is the Wireless Information System for Emergency Responders, otherwise known as WISER. And if your listeners are interested, it's HTTP front slash front slash wiser w-i-s-e-r dot n-l-m dot n-i-h dot gov, and it's developed uh, for emergency responders and others involved with uh, transportation and other types of hazardous material incidents. It's available for download to computers. You can put it on your laptop on to, on the way if you're if you're a uh, emergency responder on you know on your truck on to wait on, on the way to the incident. It's also available online as WebWiser, and it's also available as uh, something you put on your smartphone or other other uh, portable devices. Okay. That so in the last few years, we've developed apps. Uh, we have an iPhone app, a, a BlackBerry app, as well as an Android app. So the the primary, I guess, goal is to get the emergency responders, the information they need, the um, resources they need to respond to the any number of different hazards they could be encountering during their response to whatever situation they're headed to? Yeah, with, with a focus on chemical agents, but also with content for biological agents and for some, some content on radiation incidents as well. And the, what we'd like to say when we do presentations is we try to provide people with what they need, when they need it, and how they need it. So it's like, you know, here, you know, I'm at an incident, I really, I don't have time to go to a computer and, you know, look things up. I, if, if I have my smartphone or my, you know, at least a wireless connection with my laptop, I can be out, you know, on the scene in the middle of a street accessing the information that's available in Wiser. Is it kind of, does it have like a material safety data sheet section too, or is that something different? It has the content broken out in, in a different way. You can search for various types of information relative to what your interest might be. If you're interested in the toxic properties of a, a particular chemical, you can you can look it up that way. 
And one really unique, uh, not yet fabric, but one unique feature that Wiser has is that it, it has a help identify feature as well. If you don't know what the chemical is, to so say you come come to an incident and you you don't know you don't know the chemical, that you can look uh, look up use Wiser to try to identify the chemical via its physical chemical properties such as odor or color, physical state. If you have even a partial placard or a sign from the tank car or the or the truck, that that can be used. If you have somebody or victims or people on the scene having symptoms, you can try to plug in the various symptoms, and that can narrow down Wiser's over 400 chemicals down to ideally a category of chemicals that will give you enough information to have to you know for. Uh, progress on to treatment of, of, the, of the individuals with a pretty good idea what the chemical or category of chemicals was. Hmm. Cliff, did you have one you wanted to follow up with, or do you want me to keep going? No, actually, I was kind of playing around with it. I think it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I went on to the WebWiser site. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, it's, it's, it's uh, as Stephanie mentioned, you know, you know, even a resource like this is free you know, it's your U.S. federal taxpayer money at work in terms of developing resources like this, which take you pretty far away from, you know, people's usual concept of what a, what a library offers as, as resources. Yeah, it does. It really, I mean, I'm, that's why we're so happy to have you on this show. Now, the other thing was there, there's a lot of concerns with people up in the Northeast about debris, uh, remnants of the floodwaters that are still, you know, in puddles around the city, etc. And I'm wondering if you could comment from, from a toxicologist's perspective, you know, what are the hazards in these areas that you would be most concerned with if you were living in that particular area? Well, again, I, I haven't been up in New Jersey, New York area, or you know, nearby, you know, since the, since uh, Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy. But I've been following the media reports quite carefully, and you know, obviously, they've had some uh, you know oil fuel type spills. I one news story I looked at said it's the the largest oil spill, a fuel spill in New Jersey in perhaps a decade or more. So, you know, clearly, you know, fuel or oil from uh, refineries or from uh, household uh, tanks or uh, you know, other sources are, you know, going into the water that was, you know, that was there. So you have, you have the, you know, that type of, you know, that type of uh, contamination or exposure potentially occurring. You have virtually anything that really, really was on the ground is, you know, in, into the water. So it's, you know, a lot of times you think of it in terms of a concentration effect, you know, how concentrated was the, or, you know, is the chemical of concern, you know, in the water that people might be in contact with. And then from a biological perspective, of course, you might have mold exposure. And I would imagine a bunch of bacteria and, uh, and all kinds of different uh, issues that came up with those floodwaters. Yeah, and as an aside, we had a, we had a, uh, uh, sprinkler break on the floor above us at in Bethesda at National Library of Medicine about six months ago, and, and we had we had mold damage and, and water damage on our floor below. So it wasn't anywhere near as serious as what happened with Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy, but we lived through a week of dealing with water, you know, water and mold and so on. So I, you know, I, I just I, I really cringe when I think of you know the you know the poor you know poor people in terms of uh, their you know households being inundated with you know some of this water that came in. Now what I'm curious what your thoughts are with respect to asbestos. There's a, there's a lot of asbestos products that were in these buildings that was disturbed. It's probably part of the debris piles. Do you think people should be terribly concerned about that? Well, I, I need I need to be choiceful or selective in what I say, given where you know where, where I work. But I, you know, I, it, it, it's if you look at the toxic properties or the history of asbestos exposures, and you know, you know, it was, it, is there a potential for you know the people doing the remediation or cleanup now to be exposed? Uh, those I think you have to have your you know local industrial hygienists or other you know other people on the scene there to see exactly what the potential exposures might be. Yeah, because I noticed that in one of the articles I read that one of the government agencies, I don't know if it was OSHA or somebody else, they were going out to do some some sampling, a little characterization of the hazards there. They were doing some asbestos sampling. I think they were doing some lead. They were doing maybe some, oh, I can't remember exactly what else, but um, there was a, a 
about five or six different things they were sampling there, and I, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, you know, you're in an open air area. I mean, you you may have some asbestos there, but it seems to me there might be some other issues I'd be more concerned about personally. I mean, yeah, well, well, if I can add on to that, I mean, if we, if you go to our disaster information management research center page, DIMRIC uh, is the acronym for it, and it's uh, www. I'm sorry, http front slash front slash disaster dot nlm dot nih dot gov that takes you to our disaster information research center and you'll see what we offer uh, as resources if you go to the upper right part of the screen on, on that page or that, you will see that we have a you know a collection of hurricane sandy health resources and that you know your users might be interested in that you know even beyond hurricane sandy's uh, the, the resources for that that we assembled just what else we have on the page we also include a link to wiser from that that page but what i wanted to note is we have a link to what's available from the nih uh, national institute of environmental health sciences and that is a very nice document on hurricane response orientation it's uh, safety awareness for responders to hurricanes protecting yourself while helping others yep. it's out of their the nihs worker education and training program and you, you asked me about asbestos, but if, if, if you give me just a minute, I can just some of the topics they have I think are fascinating or interesting to note that they have as categories in this document that your listeners might be interested in. They talk about uh, everything from traumatic stress to heat stress to sunburn to eye injuries, too much noise, breathing dust, debris and unstable work surfaces, handling sharp objects, uh, ex examples of chemicals released, potential chemical exposures, even driving and traffic issues, and so on and so forth. So, you know, if you go to our Disaster Information Management Research Center page, uh, you can get to this document from NIHS, or you can go to NIHS directly for content like this. But this, I think, for some of your listeners to get that detailed information about how to respond or, you know, how to protect themselves and others when responding to things like Hurricane Sandy, these are the type of documents I think that are invaluable for as a resource to have. And it seems like when, when I, I listen to you go through that list, and I, I've always felt this way. I'm not sure how you would feel on it, but it seems the physical hazards are are really much more problematic, much more of an immediate concern for people doing this response than the potential for exposure to uh, some chemical, whether it be oil or asbestos or lead or whatever the case may be. Would that? Would you agree with that? That's an excellent, excellent uh, thing to note because, I, I mean, I, if you look further down what they have in this one document, just examples, they talk about ladders, chainsaws, uh, heavy equipment, and, 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 and things like that. And, you know, I, I, I lived through a tornado when I was living in Cincinnati, and, you know, I, I was up on the roof with a, with a, with a, with a saw, you know, taking the, the tree branches off my roof. And, yeah, I mean, the most... Aside from the trauma from the, the, the tornado that I encountered in, in Cincinnati when I lived there, I mean, you, you, have you potentially could really injure yourself with just trying to do the, you know, the fix-up work or the clean-up work with the, you know, the chainsaw and the, you know, everything else you're dealing with. Well, also, I would think, depending on, I remember this when we put together the materials for Katrina, there were problems with uh, animals mm -hmm. yeah. in some of the waters. Yeah. Like snakes and other things that you have to worry about. You've got people coming in from all over the country that may not be familiar with the local issues with respect to insects or, or animals, etc. So that's another uh, another important point. Yeah, and so what we try to do, if you go to, uh, if you go, if your listeners go to the well, what we developed as a Hurricane Sandy fault related resources webpage uh, through our Disaster Information Management Research Center, uh, you can see what we try to do. We try to address the uh, the, the wide range of potential types of you know, content that that people will be interested in. I think consumers we'll, or responders. What I'd like to do, Val just pointed to me, pointed out to me, and what I'd like to do, Val, is because we're going to be off next week. Let's put that up on the homepage for people that um, you know we can we can direct them straight to that particular resource, and then I'm sure they can link to many others from there. Yeah, and, and also I want to know from that page, it's not just like technical content. What we, what my colleagues or our colleagues have done a great job doing is they pulled in like the Twitter accounts 
from the various states, you know, be it Connecticut or Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, West Virginia, they're direct links uh, to the, or the, they give you the Twitter account, uh, the accounts, even the Facebook pages for some organizations. So all that's available as well from this, uh, you know, this uh, page that the National Library of Medicine put together. Yeah, I see that Twitter thing. I don't know. That, that, Cliff, it's we've okay. got to figure this out. <laughs> So, so, I mean, it's, you know, this is stuff you may not think about, you know, in terms of putting together an emergency response or disaster response information, but when, when you're the person involved or impacted that, you may want to know the Twitter account for New Jersey or Connecticut, and here's one, you know, way to, you know, to, you know, to find it easily and to also maybe check, you know, surrounding states or whatever, but it's just we, we're trying to provide the information we feel consumers and others really want to have in, in terms of re- disasters or, you know, more, you know, general type of chemical and other environmental health information. That's great. Uh, it's a great point, too. And, and the young folks today, they're more likely to go to Twitter, I think, than, you know, uh the older generation cliff and i that's why i was saying to cliff you know cliff we've got to get on this twitter thing i guess uh, we're if, slowly getting there if you follow tw- twitter and you know again you're, you they run the risk of having you know people put in you know information that may not be the most accurate or maybe purposely inaccurate type of content sometimes but it's one way that is involved now to people you know that people do in terms of trying to get information and it's you get you know i think some of the, the first information when you had the what the plane the plane incident in, in the hudson river you know a few years ago yep yep i think the first news came in through a twitter account for that um, it's amazing how things change so, so quickly. So, I mean, we didn't do that, but I'm just saying, and noting that how you know how fast people tend to use Twitter now, and you know that's that's how people tend to you know, a lot of people tend to get information. Absolutely, I was I caught on the news this morning how in you know right now there there's a. Uh, obviously, a problem in the Middle East. We've got the Israelis and the Hamas going at each other. They're they're using Twitter. Uh, to direct people to what exactly they're doing over there and to get the word out directly to the people as opposed to through the news um, you know, the news uh, organizations. It's fascinating stuff. But anyway, Cliff, before we go to Roundup, did you have anything you wanted to add or ask any questions at this point? No, I'm good, Joe. All right, let's, let's go to what yeah. we call a Roundup, and then we'll, have, we'll go right around and we'll bring Dr. Wow in and we'll go around the horn here and see if everybody has one final question. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw All right, let's get Dr. Wow on the line here. We got his music. Uh-oh. There it is. All right, Dieter, do we have you on the line? Absolutely. Very great program. I like this. And I think finally people get some good information for free. Isn't that wonderful? We all want to get something for free. Well, you know, we really wanted to do this show, Dieter, because of that. Uh, anyway, I think there are, and, and, and a couple of personal points on that. Anyway, congratulations to Andy, who won again. Yep. And yes, I know somebody in Finland. I know I know now Dr. Hakkinen. I know Mika Hakkinen. I know Kimi uh, Rickerson, and I know K.K. Rosberg. All three of them are world champions. Nobody so knows what I'm talking about. You're obviously a Formula One fan. Uh, yeah. Formula One guy. Uh, I will be watching Kimi Rackinen, uh, uh, uh on Sunday at 2 o'clock. <laughs> uh, there is the Grand Prix of the United States in Austin, Texas. Has nothing. Well, maybe there are fumes in the air and inhalation of toxic material. There you go, Dieter. Any, uh... but a couple of wonderful points, and I have been preaching that forever and ever and ever. Stephanie said, look, we have a bunch of criteria which we are using to put the stuff online. And I gave a talk, this is several years ago by now, and I, am, I mean, I researched and I gave a great talk, and there was a person sitting in the first row 
who gets up and says, Dr. Weiler is a liar. He doesn't know anything uh, about this subject. I was yesterday on the Internet, and everything he said is wrong. Well, needless to say, the whole talk was downhill from there. <laughs> and, you know, I asked her, you know, I said, do you know who put that stuff on the Internet? Nope, but that was on the Internet. So I think this is wonderful that we have a filter, and that is great. On top of it, uh, I uh, used and I tried to use uh, some of the links that, which were mentioned. In fact, I'm going to download this and I get it again, or maybe we talk about it again. Um, <clears throat> I was on some of them, and I said, "Yeah, we have the paper, uh, but you have to pay us. Uh, you have to be a, a member." And you have to pay us three hundred fifty dollars a year to get it. Yeah. Well, I can go to the local library, which is a pain in the neck, particularly if I'm sitting in front of my computer and quote have it over there. So, I think uh, we have beautiful links over here, and for quote free information. And finally, this is a good use of the internet, and not just garbage and playing games and. And, and, and whatever. Well, and I like, I like the, the, the Stephanie's warning. Not everything that is there is, is the truth. Right. You don't know where it is coming from. Well, let me ask Stephanie Dieter real quick. Do, do you, how huh. do you handle that when you run into articles or, or papers that you'd like to put up, but they've got some kind of copyright on them or there's some fee to, to download them? Do you run into that? And if so, is there a way around that ever? Uh, well, that would be an issue. That that really would be because we can link to our databases, which may have the article, but I may have to have a subscription to it. However, um, I will say that more and more articles that are in PubMed, which is the medical database of medical articles, are available for free because that is fantastic. Right, and um, and as of a few years ago, uh, any research that was funded by money from NIH has to be available for free to the public. A publisher may have six months of having full access to it before it's available for free. The you know the government doesn't want to put publishers out of business, but. It will eventually be available for free via PubMed. And you can, if you go in to do PubMed, you can restrict your search to just those articles that are free. Or if you are associated with, uh, sometimes with a university or a college or an organization, May provide uh, document delivery, or you may, as you said, you you know, you would go over to your public library, and they may be able to get that for you. So, if there's a copyright issue, we're bound by those copyright issues, and we couldn't put it up. Okay. So, if well, absolutely, that is that is one hundred percent correct. Yes. Well, let's let's go. Go ahead, Dieter. Do you have another comment or question? Uh, no, uh, I I think the service is wonderful. Yeah, uh, I have three hundred and fifty dollars, but I don't want to spend three hundred and fifty dollars on a ten-page uh, article. Right, right. Um, and uh, I like the convenience of sitting in my office here at home, pushing the buttons and said, "Bang, there it is." Yep. So I think this is fantastic, and like I said, this is hey. My taxes pay for it, and finally I get something. Not finally, I get something for it, which is always great. Absolutely. And uh, I think this is, this is a, 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 an incredibly good uh, service. And I will call a friend of mine, a former student of mine, as a matter of fact. Uh, George, uh, uh, Joe knows, <laughs> now he knows who that is. <laughs> Joe knows about him. And I will make him aware of the Wiser program because he is in uh, spills uh, uh, and hazardous materials and, and, and chemicals and all of those good things. So I think this is wonderful. And uh, maybe during the roundup, during the final ten mi five minutes over here, we give those links again 
that I can write them down and our listeners can write them down. And we'll also have them on the website, dear. So we'll oh, you okay? That's great. Hey, that is wonderful. Absolutely. I hey, I, I like that and. Uh, well, I shut up. How about that? That doesn't happen often, does Always it? Always a pleasure, Dieter. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Let's get Cliff. Any any final questions or comments, Cliff? Uh, no, I just wanted to thank the guests for taking time out on a, on a Friday to, to speak with us. And uh, Again, it's really good information that we can add you know, to the web page, and it's kind of why we do it. You know, I, I have a quick one. Um, curious, what are the what's the future plans with respect to the library? I mean, are we going to branch into other things, or is it? Uh, I don't want to say just, but are you just going to continue adding topics or adding to the current group of topics, or do you have some other plans that maybe you could let us in on that uh, we can watch for down the road? Well, I think we, you know, we obviously one challenge we have aside from the technical information that comes out is keeping up with the various platforms uh, that people have available now on smartphones and computers, and you know, keeping up with the operating systems, computers, and delivering information that people can access, you know, when they want and where they want it. So, just you know, a pretty good chunk of the budget for some of our projects, such as Wiser, is keeping up with, with the platforms. Yeah, the accessibility of it. So that you know, that's that's part of it. But you know, also, I, I think Stephanie has some great examples of these environmental health links pages. These newer topics that we're coming out with, I think, will be of interest to some of your listeners. Stephanie, right on on Monday, we'll be releasing a new guide that will be especially for toxicologists, and that will. Uh, take them to all the resources that could be particularly useful for them. And we'll also have an online page of resources on laboratory safety. And that is everything from biological labs, chemical labs, to using nanomaterials in the labs. And then that will be uh, live sometime on Monday. Did you say nanomaterials? Nanomaterials. Yeah, yes. that's a that's a hot topic, huh? It's just it sure is. I and that, and nanomaterials have been a focus of ours and within our various resources for the last, I'd say, four years, where we you know we're adding content to our hazardous substance data bank, otherwise known as HSDB for nanomaterials. We have quite a few nanomaterials now in that, that uh, very popular database. We have, we're trying to put nanomaterial content for household products in our household products database. And it's, it's, it's been a focus of ours in, over, the, over the last several years. And Stephanie has a separate web page, uh, environmental health links page on nanomaterials. Or I, guess, I guess you call it nanoparticles, right, Stephanie? Nanotechnology. Yeah, I stand corrected. Nanotechnology. Okay. Even I have trouble keeping up with all different names. But well, yeah. it brings up a, a topic that, and I, I've got to make it quick. I know we're a little over, but our our listeners, especially in the disaster restoration and indoor air quality world, they're they're always being, uh, well, I shouldn't say always. There's pretty regularly, at least lately, these new products coming out, and a lot of them are, you know, nanotechnology-based, and then we've got the other ones that are hydroxyl radicals and, and all these things that are supposed to be silver bullets for helping people with odors or with uh, killing microbial contamination, etc. Do you have a section where you evaluate those kind of claims, or is there something planned along those lines? We do not evaluate the claims uh, themselves, but we we have a household products database which uh, contains. If you go to a you know a, a household uh, like a Home Depot or Lowe's or other type of you know store like that, we will have a, I'll say a good majority or vast majority of the types of the products you're talking about. If they're available in those types of stores, we'll have them in our household products database. I see. Okay, but but again, that, that that database relies on the safety data sheets or content that that's that we get from the manufacturers. We you know we being the National Library of Medicine don't make our own evaluations of of the you know of products. Got it. But, uh, but well, it's a way to it's, it's one place to go to look for information, and that can take you to the resources you need to make your own evaluation. Uh, correct. Yes. All right, Val. Yes, uh, I'd just like to ask the guests, is there anything that you guys would like to add to the show today? Anything we missed? Anything you'd like to add? 
I, I, I would like to personally thank you, for, thank all of you for the very kind comments and for your, you know, your thoughtful questions and for that. So I hope yeah, we, thank you very much. I, I hope we were able to add, you know, to, we've done our best to try to answer your questions. I also want to know, you, there, you have an interest in Wiser. We also have something called CHEM, C-H-E-M-M, which is the Chemical Hazards Emergency Medical Management Tool. It's, the, it's a counterpart to Wiser, but it has a focus on mass casualty chemical scenarios, not that we ever want those to happen, but it, it is a tool we have available in, for incidents like that and also for people trying to plan to respond to incidents like that if, if anything ever happens. So CHEM is also available on our website and an app for CHEM is coming out very soon for, that you may want to have in your back pocket or on your smartphone for, you know, for potential use. And we have a radiation one called REM, which is the Radiation Emergency Medical Management Tool which is not for radiation experts, but for folks who might have to deal with a radiation incident. And it's also an increased use during, for example, during the Fukushima incident last year in Japan. You know, so I wanted, I wanted to note those. And then if I have a, the 20 seconds or so, I absolutely. just want to mention that we have, uh, I think your listeners might want to know how to keep current with what we have since we have a lot of, large amount of uh, information or large number of resources. And we have, as, as mentioned before, we have Twitter accounts that you can get from, I think, which I have posted on your, on your webpage. We have a RSS, or really simple syndication news feed that people can subscribe to for update, well, for key updates for resources. And we also have several listservs that people can sign up for depending on what their interests are. So those are all, I, I think, on the links that you'll be posting there. But for perspective, for Wiser, on our list for Wiser, we have close to 45,000 people who have bothered to sign up to get listserv updates for Wiser. Hmm. So you can just imagine a football stadium or baseball stadium full of Wiser users out there who have bothered to sign up to get updates from us. That's, that, that's a huge audience out there. I, I think people fully appreciate the number of users that are out there for these various resources. It's great to know that many people have that resource because it's unfortunately you need it from time to time, and when when you need it, it's good to know that uh, you've got good strong information right at your fingertips. Yeah. So folks may want to consider you know following our Twitter Twitter accounts or our listservs or our you know RSS feeds or just you know looking at our web pages every so often to see what's new from us. Or I don't mind a phone call or email once in a while either myself if if you folks just want to contact me and you know just have a specific question or something. Well, we really I tell you we really appreciate both of you joining us today. It's been a fascinating show, and I, I know we got a lot of great information out to our listeners. So I want to close by, of course, thanking my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Yep. Cliff, another one in the bag, 264. We're going to take a little break next week, uh, Thanksgiving break, and we'll be back in two weeks with our next show. Of course, I want to thank our engineer, Val Bender, uh, Roxy V. Good job, Roxy V. Of Thanks, course, uh, our uh, technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, our growing group of loyal listeners, and this week's guest. I really appreciate having Dr. Hockenin and uh, Stephanie Publicker from the National Institutes of Health, National Library of Medicine. Great stuff. We uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Everybody come back and join us in two weeks for the next episode of IAQ Radio. IAQ Radio Production. Call recording has